I had a very deep conversation with Dr. Manish Pandit, an astrology researcher and a teacher of simplified rituals. He has worked relentlessly to bring the correct interpretation of our mythology, which is what we spoke about at depth. Since he is a scholar of Mahabharat and is now the author of a beautiful book, we had a detailed conversation on the dating of the war and when did it really happen. He gave me a useful tip on how to relieve oneself of pain through simple mantras. I was curious about how to awaken kundalis since there are so many of these ads that claim that you can do it in 21 days and Munish ji obviously gave a detailed response on that which I'm sure you would love to hear. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and keep meditating. So pranam uh, Munish ji it's an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on Pragyan. Uh, I've been uh, really waiting for this conversation because of the enormity of uh, wisdom and knowledge that you have not just on uh, dating the mahabharat but also astrology in uh, in general terms and i think what i really liked about everything that you spoken uh, more generally on the internet that's available is that you give very practical tips on how to address real challenges that we are facing in our lives and you know more often than not we see uh, astrology or the gita or the mahabharat or you know really indian heritage is something that is out there or it's very complicated i have to read a lot i have to be very wise to be able to understand it but i think the way you put things across is is very in very simple terms uh, so that it can really change my life and so that's why i'm really looking forward to receiving many of these uh, tips from you today during our conversation and hopefully our viewers will benefit from it as well and so i'd just like to open this conversation with something that you shared with me on how people can deal with pain um you know a number of us are struggling with physical pain uh, of course a lot of mental stress uh, and you shared something that you have discovered in terms of a mantra and some tips so i'd like to really open with what does that look like how can people do something to relieve themselves uh, of their pain uh, namaste pragya ji and uh, thank you very much for having me on this podcast and uh, it's a pleasure to be here now um the reason i'm so interested in reducing people's pain in whatever manner it might be is because in my day job i'm a medical doctor and uh, i've been a medical doctor for what more than 25 years effectively um what happens is you see and i'm sure you have seen people like that and you might have some personal experience of it as well we all do and what happens is life is such a unpredictable thing that when you start walking through life and uh, when you're young hopefully hopefully you're full of life and exuberance and you're smiling and and then what happens is you you can either meet some people who are extremely toxic or you can meet situations which are which are deadly which are very toxic and what happens is if you keep if that keeps happening to you if it happens once or twice then the person falls down gets up starts walking again and then they get knocked down again and knocked down again and the problem is not every human is alike everybody has a different pain threshold a different sensitivity threshold a different way of viewing the world and somewhere along the way some people fall down and they never get up 
or they get up but they up either paralyzed with the pain or they they have such negativity after that and i have experienced it myself i have seen uh, people very close to me deal with it and not being able to deal with it you know uh, so that interests me yeah um, that yeah. is my that is where i'm coming from so there are two things one is uh so a lot of the time people when they becomes uh, become uh, accustomed to the pain what happens is start drawing negative energy towards them um it can either be that they have drawn the negative energy to them or that they actually step into a place where there is negative energy and uh, in our world today negative energy is a powerful thing because everywhere you go there is a possibility that there may be some negative energy i mean i like to refer to uh, refer to it as negative energy rather than the traditional way we refer to it as bhut preet pishaj brahma rakshas you know i mean the, you can keep going on in that that particular pantheon if you actually go into the for example the chandikavach is there it will tell you you know the levels of whatever uh, is basically stopped by that kavach right there are so many of those kavachas but the problem is they are in sanskrit and you have to recite them reasonably well and you have to take time to recite them there are numerous such kavachas there is the batuk bhairav kavach there is the chandi kavach uh, there is shiva kavach shiva kavach is extremely effective as well but the problem is reciting it i have seen even uh, reasonably experienced people at this make terrific mistakes uh, while reciting it and it doesn't sometimes then give them the effect plus it requires time to recite i mean they they are all long pieces and some people just stop halfway you know they are so affected by the negativity anyway they stop halfway so the first is to protect yourself from some negative influences uh i'll go into that first so that is the thing which i like to tell everybody is the sharir bandhan mantra and the reason i uh, or well it is actually a disha bandhan as well but it will function as a sharir bandhan pretty well right and what it is is that um if you look at most of the tantrikas i mean i have i to i mean i have met huge number of tantrikas in my life and this comes from a shabar mantra tradition right and the shabar mantra tradition is a slightly different tradition that you have a mantra which will work no matter what your physical purity no matter what your mental state there is something which will make it work in this particular thing there is what it is i will i will talk about that but what that mantra is let me just recite it a few times so that your viewers uh, you know get to hear it and so what it is is aakash bandho pataal bandho bandho taava taai dharti mata to he bandho dohai bhairo baba ki आकाश बांधो पाताल बांधो बांधो तावाताई धरती माता तो है बांधो दोहाई भैरव बाबा की एंड व्हाट मेक्स दिस वर्क इज दिस दोहाई भैरव बाबा की इट इज वर्किंग विद द पावर ऑफ भैरव राइट दैट इट इज इफेक्टिवली दैट इफ दिस इज नॉट डन यू नो यू हैव टू आंसर टू भैरव हिमसेल्फ सो दिस इज अ वेरी पावरफुल मंत्रा uh one eclipse uh, well two eclipses just went by hmm they were the ideal times to uh, sort of energize this mantra it is a shabar tradition mantra 
So you repeat it 108 times, same time and same place for 21 days, it will become energized. But if, if not even, I mean, it is a shower mantra at the end of the day, it will give some result. I mean, I know people for whom 11 times also they repeat it, it is more than enough, right? Wow. So it does give a result. Um, I know people who will repeat it only on Amasyas and Purnimas. So uh, the reason I started giving it out is because I know, uh, you know, a few people who were in the midst of depression, uh, having a very, uh, you know, the ideas of self-harm and all that. And quite a few people are like that nowadays, unfortunately, in this age of ours. You see, we, what has happened is we have become so slavish, you know, slavishly attached to machines, but you have forgotten about the humans. Yeah. And, um, you know, what is what happens is that people then get into the vicious cycle of negativity. And once they are in that cycle of negative thought, anything can happen. So a lot of those people have benefited from this particular mantra. You know, this is something which is the need of the hour because even as, uh, you know, the last six months, we've been reading the news a lot in India and what's been going on is that, you know, you've always seen suicides at a all-time high in educational institutes and now we are seeing many of those rising in you know a particular city called Kota just there's been a massive rise because one is to what you said which is just attachment to digital devices but also just the pressure of life uh, you know you sit down and you think about what if I don't pass and what does my life look like and because you can't see a path ahead uh, you think of the future and cause yourself pain today and you feel like the best way to get rid of that pain is to really finish uh, your own life so you know this uh, mantra that you have shared is very powerful and i think really will benefit many people who are going through physical pain but more importantly i think uh, med medical um, uh, mental pain so thank you so much uh, for sharing this and you know i also want to stitch what you said you know you've been a doctor uh, and you know just this mantra as well is around um, life's problems and uh, you know as i was uh, uh, researching on you, I found out that the reason you really started to date the Mahabharat was, you know, in one of your uh, sessions in the in the mess with a number of doctors who came around and told you how, you know, they were facing uh, life's problems. And you said, well, you should just read the Gita, you know, that has all the answers. And you had this really young enthu uh, girl stand up and say, well, how, how am I even supposed to believe that something like this happened? Um, and, you know, that's when you really, really got down to doing this. So I think I really want to talk about um, your journey of dating the Mahabharata and then where do you really put it in the, in the cosmic calendar versus the human calendar that we know? So that's a, that's a very interesting thing which you've <laughs> found out. Yes, um, that was a long time ago. Uh, interesting thing is that it was a young doctor from... Lady Harding College in Delhi, who was in England. And there was a, just a, a random conversation. It was some point in the evening, uh, I think, because, you know, we were all on call. It was after work, actually. And uh, I think uh, it was a very different time. Even in England, it was a very different time. And there was a conversation going on. And I think you know, there was a bit of depression, well, can't progress in jobs or something like that was happening. And so I happened to, as usual, open my big mouth <laughs> and say, uh, you know, about this thing about the Gita. And uh, 
the girl actually was very annoyed she said well we are secure we are secular people and uh, we are modern people and uh, the geeta never took place because shri krishna never existed and well so if shri krishna didn't exist what's the point of the geeta as very interesting point you know what she made and i was like i've never heard this argument before and but then i realized that the younger generation demand scientific proof and then i started to look into uh the research on it and so the interesting thing is nobody actually denies that the mahabharat took place they all say the mahabharat took place but it uh, the what varies is in what to what extent did the mahabharat take place you know did it take place with all these akshavahini senas you know so many soldiers and all that uh, so you got that on one side and then the other thing is the archaeo astronomy the field of archaeo astronomy which had very barely taken off remember the computers of that time were not of that capability even in the year 2000 um you know it, it they still hadn't come to that point where all this software was just available to anybody who wanted it and it was nasa which had some of this software and they used to uh, publish their ephemeris etc and there was a particular gentleman by the name of dr narhari achar and dr narhari achar had the singular distinction of being a professor of physics i think it was material science but he was also uh, into astronomy and he was a very thorough person and i first well first i read his research and i was quite impressed with it because it was extremely thorough i don't think i have uh, seen that sort of research coming from anybody else in the field i mean even uh, i have only expanded on what uh, he did and he came from a tradition so the, uh, his date was 3067 bc 3067 bc for the uh, mahabharata and his tradition came from somebody called as raghavan who was also quite a distinguished person who was in the um, who was in Ch- chennai university as i think a professor of mathematics if i remember right okay. and so he had done everything by hand in 1967 or 69 but the difference between the two was that whereas raghavan had gone into just kaliyuga so kaliyuga has a tradition of starting at 3102 bce and he had and that's a very old tradition you know it is well known and it's a very old tradition and there are two or three different types of kaliyuga which i won't go into because it will bore your viewers quite a lot but but the thing is that kaliyuga uh normally all the so called traditional datas of the mahabharata simply say that kaliyuga has to start at 3102 bce and the war must occur 36 years before that and the only person who had said well no it's that's not the case because what is what's in the mahabharata is that there is a lot of stuff there saying kaliyuga has already started prap really? yes so praptam kaliyugam vidhi pratidyam pandavascha cha it says right at the time for example when balarama uh, so uh, there is a gada yuddha as you remember uh, between uh, the uh, two star peoples of balarama bhimsen and duryodhan and uh, you know when when um, bhimsen hits 
Durudhan on the thighs against, you know, it's a contravention of the uh, rules of war because below the belt, so as to speak. Um, Balram gets very upset and he runs towards uh, Bhimsen and Sri Krishna stops him and he says, you know, that praptam kalyugam vidhi pratidnyam pandavasya So Kalyuga has already arrived, he says. And before also when Sri Krishna and Karna are riding together and uh, uh, you know, before that, when the war is taking place and uh, again, there is a seeming contravention of the rules of war when uh, Karna is uh, killed by Arjun when he gets out from his Even then, you can see that there is a multiple amounts of times where this is already, it's already here, Kaliuga is here. And the thing is, if you go even into the Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad Gita also doesn't contravene this particular statement. But what has happened is, People have simply not understood that bit of it. What it is, is that Sri Krishna's feet until they are on the earth. Till that time Kaliuga is there, but it cannot take hold completely. It cannot take hold. And it then when he leaves, then Kaliuga starts in right interest. Right. And Kali, of course, uh, hides in, you know, in, um, in gold, for example, and things like that. You know, so because all the wars and things which you look at. So Kaliuga is going to start after that. So, yes, it, so this is not a contradiction in terms. But the only person who realized that was Raghavan at that point realized that the war must have taken place just after Kaliuga started. So it's actually the 36 years after, in a way, uh, that Kaliuga has started. So it's 3067 BC. So... The other thing which we have to remember in terms of um, the Maha, dating of the Mahabharata is that uh, you got Balram's pilgrimage and Balram's pilgrimage has to start from a Pushya nakshatra and end on a Shravana nakshatra and it has to take 42 days. So that is very important. Why? Because Pushya nakshatra is the most auspicious nakshatra of the Hindu zodiac. And India's independence chart, for example, is also with the moon in Pushya nakshatra. And if you, yeah, if you see anybody, you see the huge full page ads occurring in the newspapers also, even today, where they talk about starting things on a Pushya Nakshatra. So buying gold on a Pushya Nakshatra, buying a car on a Pushya Nakshatra, right? And so on, because it multiplies everything you do. So you do everything on a Pushya Nakshatra except marriage, of course. There are micro markers of astronomy in the Mahabharata. And if you ignore those, you can date the war to... 2023. If you ignore them, you can date it to any century or I would say actually any year. So one characteristic mistake which is uh, which you will see if you ask most of the people, you will say, well, you ask them, when did the war start? On what tithi? So if you look into the tradition, tradition says it is a Shukla Ekadashi or Shukla, some people Shukla Dwadashi or Trayodashi even. But if you look at the astronomers, they will say, what started on Amavasya? And this is a ridiculous thing, right? So you got these two things, war started on Amavasya or, so the, it is an 18-day war. Yeah. We can't have two different opinions on this. But before you, before you get into that, I also want to ask you that, you know, um, there are, there's another very popular theory, which I also read and have heard about, which is, you know, the fact that 
uh, everyone says that there was a lunar eclipse which was out of turn uh, right and it's basically people tend to date it based on that lunar eclipse which was out of turn and so they say that the mahabharata was somewhere between 800 to 1200 bc but of course you're dating it much much earlier and so i just want to understand what is your explanation for that okay fantastic so now the, i mean the, that's great of you that you've gone into that depth and actually looked into the pairs of eclipse pairs so there have been authors who have gone into Uh, looking at eclipse play pairs in the time of the mahabharata and you can go and look at eclipse pairs and um, uh, you'll see that there are numerous eclipses numerous i mean every year there will be effectively either two or three or four eclipses right yeah so if you go into it um then then you have to go into whether they occurred at less than 14 days less than 15 days less than 13 days now mahabharata talks about a tradition of of eclipses but the interesting thing about the eclipses which most of the authors have forgotten and which is there in the text is that when did the eclipses occur did they occur before the war started or did they occur in the war timeline in during the 18 days of the war it's a very interesting thing and if you look into it the answer to that is when did vyasa meet dhritarashtra and vyasa meets dhritarashtra before the war and on the eve of the war and then he relates the omens which are there in the bhishma parva and all that and uh, along with that long before that in the udyoga parva karna talks about a lunar eclipse which has taken place already at the time of meeting sri krishna he talks about a lunar eclipse already took place and a solar eclipse is about to occur so um, the eclipses have to take place before the war and once you clarify that you see then most of these dates fall into real trouble because those eclipses he is talking about are occurring before the war you can argue that they might have been further eclipses occurring after but then they, then there is a problem because you can't have eclipses occurring at such frequent intervals right you see so if if you say that there was a eclipse occurring before the war which is what karna and vyasa two principal characters of the mahabharata are talking about eclipses occurring but before the war then and that is just you know that is not massively before you're talking about a gap of maximum maybe you know 40 50 days like that that sort of thing then in that case how can you have an eclipse again again at this point of time so if you look at it you know i mean if you're talking about pair of eclipses having occurred before so that is the first thing and then the question is which eclipse occurred before and there also he says the lunar eclipse which occurred first and then the solar eclipse that is the other thing and then of course there is the other peculiar problem which is with astronomy software when you go back into time the moon is the thing which is not perfectly you cannot position the moon okay. so there may be a difference of a few hours here and there that's the only graha which is not so easy to position so the so uh this will have occurred but the only question is when exactly you know within a few hours there may be a difference and plus then uh, the question is the visibility of an eclipse and all that right so all those things are difficult questions 
which actually you can, I mean, th those will become more of an opinion. So to date the war on eclipses alone is actually, I think, a bit of a difficult thing to do, right? I mean, it is possible to do. And of course, uh, there are two eclipses which take place before um, over here. And that is during the mission of, uh, during and just after the mission of peace, right? So uh, that is as far as the eclipses are concerned. Now, Dr. Achar also has dealt with very, very lucidly about the visibility of eclipses. Now, I'll come back to the pivotal moments of the Mahabharata now, because I think that's really, you know, important from our viewpoint. So that day 13, so day 10 is, of course, you know, day 9, 10 is important from the Bhishma, fall of Bhishma point of view. But day 13 is really important because uh, there is a Maryada Ullangan. Because what has happened is, see, you got this young boy called Abhimanyu. And Abhimanyu has learnt uh, the Shastras uh, of uh, the piercing of the Chakraviva in the womb. But unfortunately, he hasn't learnt how to come out of it. But in this particular case, there is a Maryada Ulangan in the sense that uh, normally one warrior will fight one warrior. But here they were incapable of fighting him alone. And even after two or three people joined and started to fight him, they could not fight him. And so eventually after everything had been exhausted and he's exhausted and he's completely alone, then they all got together to kill him. Yes. And they killed him. And they all rejoiced at the end of that because they had managed to kill Abhimanyu. And that is, uh, how can I put it? It's one of those events uh, like which causes severe trouble for the future. And of course, Arjun gets severely annoyed at this. And he's, he's beside himself in, in rage and anger. He's uncontrollable, actually. And eventually, he takes that, that uh, uh, pratigya, that I am going to kill Jayatrath, no matter what happens. And um, well, we come to the 14th day, and then Jayatrath is killed, eventually as uh, it is known and his head goes and falls in his father's lap and all that, uh, those sort of things. And then starts a merciless battle because what has happened is you see, you've gone past that Maryada and now everybody is out to kill everybody else, you know, on the other side and there is no quarter to be given. I mean, it's like a, it's like a line that's been crossed, right? And once you just cross that line, then everything is acceptable. Yes. Unfortunately, and I mean, that, that is also true in other bits of life. Anyway, but Ghatotkach comes into the scene uh, on the 14th war night. And Ghatotkach, uh, you know, because his head is like a ghatta, uh, you know, so Ghatotkach is, uh, and it's completely bald. And he is, um, he's fearsome. He's fearsome. He's a demon, right? At the end of the day. And uh, he's born of Bhimsen and uh, Hidimbi. And uh, he comes there and he decides that he's going to take apart the entire Kaurava army. And he kills a couple of demons. And remember, in the night, uh, Ghatotkacha's powers magnify like anything. So eventually, eventually, Duryodhan is like worried that this whole thing is going to get over on this 14th war night and Ghatotkach is just going to 
cause so much annihilation. So he tells Karna that I know you have reserved your Vasava Shakti for Arjun, but but this is a akasmak <laughs> sankat which has come on us. So please use it to kill Ghatotkach instead. And of course that is what happens. And but before dying, Ghatotkach enlarges his body so much and kills a few more, you know, uh, Kauravas in the end. And Yudhishthir is uh, is um, in sorrow after that. Yudhishthir says, "How many things? Uh, how many people are going to be killed by this and <clears throat> this sort of thing?" But Sri Krishna smiles. And Sri Krishna smiles because because he knows that Karna has lost his power. Karna has lost his biggest weapon, yeah. the Vasav Shakti. Yeah. And therefore, Arjun is now safe. And if Arjun is safe, the war is going to be won, no matter what. And uh, I mean, again, uh, this is just how wars play out. But after that, something very interesting happens. They, you know, there's a merciless killing going on. Eventually, they, so the story goes, that they cannot even recognize it's a, you know, it's a dark night. The moon has not risen yet. And they cannot recognize each other. And they are full of fatigue. So eventually Arjun says that let us stop and rest and then we'll start the fight again when the moon rises, right? Mm. And so they rest over there and there is a, um, you know, uh, they also have torches and all those sort of things as well. But eventually they're so fatigued that they, they don't know what the hell they're doing. So eventually they go to rest on the battlefield itself and then the moon is to rise. And that moonrise is really important because it clarifies our question, which we asked right in the beginning, that whether did the Mahabharata war start on Amavasya or not? If this is the 14th night, then on the 18th war day, it must be four days away. It has to be a Amavasya or a new moon night or close to a new moon day or close to it. Right. So it is either a Krishna Chaturdashi or Amavasya. Right. So this becomes very interesting. So the war ends on Amavasya. The war cannot start on Amavasya. Understood. There's enough proof in there. Now there is enough proof. Now we know why they say war is in a late Shukla Paksha. The tradition says war is in late uh, Shukla Paksha, either Shukla Ekadashi, Dwadashi, Trayodashi, depending. So the first war day becomes a Shukla Trayodashi. Right? Late Shukla Trayodashi, it, uh, you know, and then before that will be a Dwadashi and so on. But whatever be the case, it's definitely not Amavasya. The yeah. war is ending on Amavasya. And that is a is a huge thing. Because it means that there is a there is some massive mistake which has been made by all these other astronomers. No, I just want to also jump on to something else which has been also in my mind, which is, you know, you said this about... Uh, you know, Krishna Bhagwan, and you know, we always think about Kali Yuga starting when he passes away or rather moves on uh, to the brighter world. And so that's always, at least my understanding was Kali Yuga started then. And you, and you, of course, mentioned that that's not how it is in the Gita, that it has actually already begun. And so if that be the case, again, my question is, so when is Kali Yuga going to end? Because if it's going to be ending soon, then human race will end soon as well. So where are we really compared to the human calendar and the cosmic calendar if you talk about Kali Yuga? 
because each yug is supposed to be around 4 lakh years right something like that now so uh, uh, 1432000 is the duration of kaliyuga starting from 3102 bce supposedly and i mean there's no way to uh, either uh, confirm it or deny it <laughs> but the sure. but that is the impossible length of time which the hindus are talking about right which we are talking about these sort of lengths of time so we are only in, we are young into kaliyuga and things will get get far worse apparently apparently so we are it's a good thing if we can manage to get out of this situation uh, uh, you know at the end of our lives hopefully it will still be not as bad as it is supposed to get uh, <laughs> at least this lifetime yeah i mean in our lifetime anyway we can hope for reasonably uh, good life uh, whatever is remaining and but i am not sure given all these conflicts and given what what else has happened in the um, past few years uh, i think humans are looking at uh, you know they have to they have to get the act together a little bit but what does that look like i mean i know we all say we should get our act together but you know at a collective level what does that look like because we are all only thinking about our individual needs and that really is driven by our own motivations and at a country level it's driven by you know motivations of the political leaders who are looking at can i drive my specific country agenda so how do we really come at that uh, collective consensus on what is good for the world because i don't think anyone's looking at it like that well the americans have to uh, reduce their footprint first of all because i think 75% of that uh, climate change footprint is by uh, is american right the americans really have to uh, start thinking that what exactly are we doing to the world and uh, uh, i think some of the red meat consumption has to go down uh, and has go down a lot mm. and then of course we have to get over obsession with cars and uh, you know more there needs to be more public public transport and then there needs to be flood defenses and there needs to be because there's going to be you know some of the coastal areas if you look at the forecasts um bombay for example bangladesh is the is the, going to be the worst hit i think yeah and um, you know all these things when they happen all these natural disasters uh, which have been forecast you know and you can already see that some of them have already started occurring uh the problem is that once those occur you can't do much about those so everything has to be a protective thing it has to be done beforehand this year or the last two years have been somehow we are seeing conflict propping up everywhere before that we had uh, we were all as a humanity struggling with uh, with covid and so yes to your point that you know we are having different kinds of struggles in different years that we are we are looking at but does that really have any astrological connection at all in the study that you've been doing yeah i mean i, I try to avoid really getting into it because it's depressing isn't it but you see the mahabharata has got some very interesting uh things in it and one of the things it has so there are two verses for the position of saturn in the mahabharata and uh, they were interesting that uh, so those verses are prajapatyam hi nakshatram grahastikshno mahatyutihi shaneshchara pidayati pidayan praninodikam that is one verse and then rohini pidayanesham sthito rajan shaneshchara uh, the first verse is from udyoga parva which is karna krishna samvada the other one is from bhishma parva 
एंड रोहिणी नक्षत्र एंड सैटर्न रोहिणी इज कंसिडर्ड द नाभी ऑफ द जोडियक ऑफ द ऑफ द वर्ल्ड इन अ वे सो इफ सैटर्न कम्स ओवर देयर एंड इफ यू लुक एट द वे दैट पर्टिक्युलर नक्षत्र इज पोजिशंड यू विल सी दैट इज लाइक अ वेन ऑफ अ कार्ट and whenever saturn goes to the vein of that card not not exactly in it basically but mm-hmm. but somewhere around there then uh disasters occur and you can prove it so if you go back uh to uh the last time it happened the exact week when saturn went retrograde uh you know ret- ret- retrogression is basically simply from the geocentric point of view from our viewership on earth it becomes important but the moment it started to uh, go into it, that uh, retrogression that was a point at which the twin towers uh, uh, episode occurred you know the oh, terrible tragedy yes. of um, 9/11 yeah and then if you go back another 29 and a half years then you'll find the one of the biggest genocides of the country which was completely forgotten uh, biggest genocides of this well of um, world in fact Uh, which is the bangladesh during the creation of bangladesh which um, was uh, what is it 2 million people uh, killed and uh, what is it 400000 women in rape camps and uh, you know uh, the and of course uh, what's his name nixon who threatened to put the seventh fleet in the bay of bengal and uh, indira gandhi then uh, you know uh, stopped all that and airlifted troops into what is now bangladesh what used to be east pakistan and eventually eventually the whole thing uh, stopped that is the power of saturn right It can literally stop everything and that is what happened to the germans in the end you know the power of saturn basically from the jyotish point of view uh, to stop something from happening so is that what's happening now as well this particular thing happens every 29 and a half years and every 29 and a half years there is a some other other war or whatever and usually some sort of thing which leads to a big war even if it's it isn't a war but it's something which leads on to conflict and that is happening what 2030 31 that sort of time frame so there is a bit of time for that but now what we are what is happening is you know some other stuff is also happening so in the context of the for example the israel palestine conflict so you go to october 7th and you cast the chart for that particular day you'll find that mars and ketu from our viewpoint ketu is headless and ketu is uh, so it's what leads to unpredictability of events and leads to in uh, you know severe events severe severe events right and uh, it is without a head right so it can lead to some very very violent events and mars and ketu coming together see it potentiates uh, the power of mars as a, a planet of conflict so it is a mathematical point you know ketu but from our viewpoint it is a graha and the reason it is called a graha is because it can lead to some very very severely violent events and as i have always said you know as i am a as a neutral jyotish observer because everything is ultimately karma uh, the problem is that once you got uh, violent events which occur then there's a action there's a reaction and then the whole thing goes 
in its own trajectory. Uh, so that one thing happened. And the interesting thing over there is that Israel's Lagna, um, or I can't remember whether it is Israel's Lagna or its moon is exactly over there at the, at the Mars-Ketu conjunction. And that is a terrible thing basically for uh, Israel. You've spoken a lot about uh, energy and there's also a lot of talk on the internet. You know, uh, often when I'm browsing, I find, you know, uh, a lot of talk around Kundalini and that you can achieve it in 21 days of practice. Can you just share some insight on what that really is? Okay, so, so the first thing I'm going to say is that if anybody says they're going to awaken Kundalini in 21 days, run in the opposite direction as far as possible. Um, I mean, I, I don't mean it in any bad way and I don't mean any criticism, but uh, having been there and done that sort of thing, uh, it was just the other day when I was sitting in front of Nakate Maharaj, my guru, and uh, I said, oh, you know, my Kundalini has come up to uh, Vishuddhi and, uh, you know, I can feel something there. And I was must have been 25 or something. And he, he laughed, you know. He laughed, he said, he said, uh, in Marathi, when it happens, you will know it. It is not something like this, like what people think it is. Because Kundalini, what is Kundalini? Kundalini is you. Kundalini is you, but which you? Mm. You see? So, I am Manish, you are Pragya. Right. Now, I am Manish because there's the I-ness which identifies with this idea of Manish, right? Right. And you are Pragya likewise. XYZ. And everything you own, small, small things also, that is your I-ness. And that I-ness of yours is your identification. But now imagine that you take yourself and you imagine yourself as an aspirin tablet and you put it in the water and it's a dispersible aspirin tablet and it starts to dissolve. And that is what is Kundalini, that you start to become the that water into which you put yourself. You're becoming that and that is far more unlimited as compared to the aspirin tablet which you thought you were. And now you're basically becoming that jug of water or whatever it is. And uh, so it's not unlimited, but it's still limited because it's not the ocean, but it is unlimited enough. And what happens with Kundalini is that um, the boundary between you and the universe will dissolve. And so now what happens is that depending on what deity you have uh, worshipped to get into this really not so good thing because unless you're trained to do it, it can be quite a deadly experience. And so either the universe will come in or you will go out. And it depends on which deity you're worshipped as to which will do what. So in the initial bit when Kundalini actually awakens, some so there are three consequences. One of three consequences can occur or one of four. The first is that you will die. You just die because what will happen is it will open and off you'll go and the, the crown basically and this energy will just meet 
and there will be a merging and that will be the end. That is one. The second is that the awakening, because awakening is such a powerful thing. I mean, all these people who keep talking about 21 day awakenings, you know, they, they, this is a load of utter nonsense. They have no idea what Kundalini is. Kundalini, if it actually awakens, you will be in a state of flux. And a lot of people get uh, go mentally uh, deranged with that, mm. right? Because you have to maintain Brahmacharya. You have to, uh, you can't eat certain foods. In the beginning, at least, you have to follow endless number of instructions. And those instructions are not easily available because hardly anybody has ever done it. These are this such a rare thing for Kundalini to actually awaken. It is not something which is so common as people say. What people mistake to be Kundalini is emotional catharsis, uh, some energy flowing within, which is just prana in one of the channels, things like that. Kundalini is, um, and if you, for some or the other reason, if you have awakened somehow some higher deity, and that deity is taken control of this limited person, which is you, then the third option is there, which is that you will eventually become like that. And not that you will become that completely, but you'll become some small replica internally of that deity. It could be Shiva or Vishnu or whatever it is. But a small portion of that is recreated within you. And that is what the greats like Swami Vivekananda or uh, Ramakrishna Paramahansa. Ramakrishna Paramahansa was the, one of the greats who did that. But uh, Dhyaneshwar Maharaj. Dhyaneshwar Maharaj did it when uh, before the age of around 25 uh, or 21, in fact. And uh, you will experience, so whoever does that will experience the divine in some form or the other. And it will keep experiencing the divine. You know, right up to the day they die and even afterwards the, there is no real death because that death experience has already been recreated by that Kundalini. When you go through that gateway, in a way, oh, very interesting. I think what I am taking away is, of course, most importantly, that if you're doing this, you have to have a guru. You have to have someone who can guide you through it, the right kind who has experienced it. And I know in this day and age, like you said, where there's so much noise, it's very difficult to find the right person because how do you make that judgment on who's right? Um, and then the second thing is like, you know, be very clear on what that is. So read about it before you actually want to experience it. Don't just go with the fad that because it's out there, it pops up on your feed. Just don't go click and start experiencing it because it's something which can also actually uh, have very negative repercussions. I also want to ask you, you spoke a lot about Hinduism and you know, the, the constant conversations that uh, especially the young people in India and also liberals uh, or pseudo-liberals always talk about is the connection between Hinduism and Hindutva. So where is really, you know, do you see a connection at all? Uh, because we always see Hinduism as a way of life where we are very secular, we're open, we're, we're uh, accepting of everything. And so what is really the connection in your mind, if at all there is a connection? See, uh... Hinduism, as it is today, uh, is formed of a huge number of paths, all of which have effectively begun in India. Mm. Uh, you can say Kundalini is one path, for example. 
the bhakti movement is another part for example and uh, each and every deity for example has its own path i mean so but there are there are a group of paths all which they all have their roots in india and yeah. uh, they all believe in a collectively in a set of beliefs even the jains for example will believe in a certain set of beliefs which are not too dissimilar to the dharmic faiths what we call as the dharmic faiths uh hindutva is also effectively just a outreach of that but some of it may be more reactionary that's about it uh and in the old days for example you had kshatriyas to protect so called dharma mm but now uh, you don't quite need kshatriyas as such uh in that particular context right because you in india you got a you got a different kind of you got the army and you got the navy and you got the air force and all that anyway to protect your borders but the intellectual part of that is important that you have to uh, to be able to uh, give your point of view across right and to be able to do it without uh, too much of a fight unnecessary fight where it is necessary sometimes to argue but sometimes it is yeah. not necessary to argue but to actually to make sure that you give your uh, to put your point across uh, that is more important sometimes and also it's also about how many people you give this point of view to right and how many people you actually get them to practice so if you got everybody to sit down and do asana but asana meaning not physical poses but you got them all to sit down and meditate but before you meditate you must learn to concentrate but before you learn to concentrate then you might want to learn what is dhyan then if you want to learn what is dhyan then you might as well do homa then you do you see what i mean so i realized it the hard way i realized it the hard way i mean i uh, luckily have a you know uh, humongous pause of concentration from my early days so i was lucky but not everybody is like that and fire can help you concentrate like anything you know and once you learn to concentrate then you have also learned you know because what exactly is hinduism if you if you break it down completely what is it you go to a temple that is hinduism you visit a temple and you sit there you chant something you uh uh ring the bell once or twice right right and you you take a little bit of akshata in your hand and you uh give it to the priest and say please can you uh place it at the feet of the deity you light a lamp over there that is all hinduism but why are you doing it because that is a fire element right then the kumkuma and the akshata what is that that is effectively something physical over there you are giving the earth element why you put in the pushpas because that is a water element and then the agni is the you see what i mean and all yeah. that you are learning the moment you do homa you become aware of the whole damn thing you become aware of the elements you become aware of what because that is an element you see and therefore you begin to learn about the other elements then you begin to learn about the chanting so if if 
that is what effectively hinduism is so my other question to you is like you know uh, the little bit that i have read the gita there's no mention or even the mahabharat right there's no mention of a temple or idol worship it's just about states and and you know krishna bhagwan is talking about lessons of life so to say so where did this concept really come in right so first of all the gita bhagavad gita uh, i mean what i'm saying will sound a bit like blasphemy then is not for everybody at mm. at a particular stage of their life it's it's meant for you when you're really going to concentrate on it and you know it's not something you just go for a weekend course on the bhagavad gita you you need to concentrate on the bhagavad gita and it when when will that happen when you're ready to receive that message you need to be at a particular point in your life to actually resonate with those things that is number one and then you mentioned about why there is no murti murti puja supposedly advocated but what it is is the bhagavad gita is a field of thought mm. it is a stream of thought which has come out from a great yogi so uh, if you are talking about mantra shastra so here is arjun who has spent 12 years in the himalayas and he is the person who is receiving that knowledge from from the lord himself you consider that sri krishna is bhagavan now sri krishna giving arjun and who are we matlab aise hi apna aate hai na log to matlab i consider myself like that only because yeah the janta ha janta bhi nahi bol sakte matlab janta bhi kuch ho sakti hai par hum to वैसा इट इज नॉट गुड हैपन लाइक दैट राइट आई मीन दे हैव टू रियलाइज दैट दीज आर टू ग्रेट एग्जॉल्टेड योगीज एंड नाउ दे हैव कम टू अ पिनिकल ऑफ देयर प्रैक्टिस एंड नाउ द स्पॉन्टेनियसली श्री कृष्णा इज गिवन द समथिंग विच इज इम्पॉसिबल रीड दैट भगवद गीता यू फाइंड दैट ओपन हाई मेड द भगवद गीता इन संस्कृत ही लर्न संस्कृत टू रीड द भगवद गीता इन ओरिजिनल महात्मा गांधी ऑन द अदर हैंड गांधी on the other hand did not read the bhagavad gita in the original sanskrit he read it he read a translation that is the difference that is why you find that openheimer went on to fight you see because and he read a bomb yes that's that is the reason why he went on to fight because you know there was no other option and that is what it eventually so if you anybody who reads the gita will will not necessarily go and fight or not necessarily create arms or whatever but they will they will get up to struggle mm. they will start to struggle against injustice oppression those sort of things so in that way it is it is a very very powerful text so i want to wrap this up by asking you a, a question i got to know firstly what's next for you and what are you currently working on and then i also heard that you're planning to build a temple in india and you're trying to acquire land here near varanasi so please tell me more about that yeah so uh, that's uh, yeah uh, we have already i think effectively acquired uh, the it's not even land we are going to acquire, uh, acquire a place entire place in kashi kshetra and so uh, we have already acquired that wonderful effectively it should be finished this month and um, so it comes with a temple 
actually there is a temple attached to it and uh, so what we are hoping is that uh, there will be uh, first there will be just one pratishthapana uh, but first the murti has to be made that is going to be a, hopefully i think it will be batuk bhairava now the question is in what dhyana we have to make it either sattva rajas or tamas so we are going to do that um so that will be that murti is going to be made now now that uh, uh, all this is already uh, we, in fact we signed the paperwork just a few days ago and uh, that is in kashi kshetra itself which was quite difficult to get uh, then there's a few things to be done the you know the uh, place needs to be mended a little bit and all that you know some uh, maramat has to be done ground floor of that we are in, uh, we are going to have the deity um, and in the temple there will be another deity and the temple already has i think 21 shivlingas oh and what's really the idea behind this so uh, for years and years so when i was around 27 or 28 i've had this idea for a long time that i want to uh, build around i i wanted at that point to build around 18 temples each reflecting one of the arms of durga that was the original plan but then uh, slowly i mean i should have perhaps done it at that stage it was easier to do it at that stage and people were willing to give me land at that stage there was there was land possibly there as well right in pune and the other places i would have easily got it but i was quite lucky uh, the previous temple which we did uh, was given to me by one of my uh, one of the people i know uh, quite a good friend avinash and uh, he had some land and so in one corner of the land there was already a bhairav temple uh, masoba temple uh, which is a form of bhairav and then at the side of that we basically built a small shrine to dhumavati Dhumavati is one of the uh, in a so Dhumavati has thirty two forms, and uh, the normal form which is depicted in literature is the smashanic form. But the form which we have built is the form which is the uh, we have we are able to consecrate as a Saubhagyavati Dhumavati, which is the one worshipable in the okay. temple, and uh, that is the one which is seated on a crow, and that is in Pune in in the outskirts of Pune. in a taluka in the donge village and uh, it's quite spectacular i mean that particular deity uh, i must say uh, it's one of the most powerful protective deities of hinduism well i hope uh, more and more of that happens uh, to you because this, you're doing some great work and thank you so much for sharing so much of your knowledge um, you know i think i have learned a lot around not only dating the mahabharata but also just generally about life so thank you for sharing so many anecdotes uh, of your journey and uh, i'm hoping to keep having these conversations with you so thank you again for your time so very kind of you pragya ji dhanyawad thank you